0: Hello, hey John. Hi Dan. How are you? I'm fine. How are you?
1: Pretty good. I um, uh, I uh, I noticed you're dealing with some kind of buckle or something like that. Some kind of buckle buckle situation. Hmm. Your on in your Instagram.
0: Oh, I um, you know, I work in the garden now quite a bit, and I got a couple of pairs of overalls. I noticed both kinds, two different brands, had uh-huh. a um had a new sort of cheapo pressed tin keyhole and, and key style latch thing. It's no good. It's not as good as a button or, or other, other ways of hooking things. A button and a hook is what it used to be, but that's how it goes. Shit is no good anymore. And that's just how it, That's just how it goes. I think uh, people have written in to say that if I wanted to spend more, I could get the vintage ones that are expensive and made the way that used to be made. Right. But what I really want to do is just throw it all in the garbage and start over. Start over. Start
1: with with new
0: overalls? No, just start life over. Just do a complete (laughs) reboot. Uh Uh-huh. Go back. Just... Begin again and, and this time try and get it right. Yeah. No,
1: I hear that.
0: Today, uh, this is going to be, this is an experiment. This is the first show I'm going to be doing, uh, after my kid is in school, oh. zoom call school. Right. Her mom is on zoom calls all day or whatever calls Yeah, all day. And so this will be the, this will be the first time that all three of us are doing some kind of streaming internet bandwidth gobbling. So let's see how it goes. Yeah. How bad can it be? I don't I mean
1: it it, it sounds good. It's, I don't want to jinx it now, but it sounds really good right now.
0: That's good. That's good. How's it going down there? You got your you got your kids in school? We well I mean to them quite a while.
1: Yeah, they're doing the virtual thing and they both hate it. And um my son is twelve and he's in seventh grade, and my daughter is the same age as yours, nine and fourth grade, and yeah. they're both miserable. They both hate it. They hate everything about it. Um it 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 couldn't be possibly worse. And oh, wow. yeah, so that's that's what's going on there and it sucks. And I don't, uh, I don't know what to do about it. And they both, <laughs> want they both bless yeah. you. They both want to go in and, and, um, and, and do that. yeah. And, and kind of, you know, they go to a private school. So mm. like 50% of the kids are in the school and 50% are virtual basically. Mm. And the classes mm. are small anyway. They might only have, you know, 15 kids in the class, maybe less. And so it's just kind of weird. It's just kind of weird. And I hate it and everyone hates it. And there's nothing really to be done about it. And I know, I know that if they go or if they were to go, they would get it. And then I would get it. And, you know, when I, like you hear about these like long-term effects that people have from it and like if it was just going to be like the flu, I'm like, all right, well, will just send them. And we, if I get sick for a week and a half, two weeks and fine, do you hear about these people who like months later still have these cognitive issues and that's assuming that you get like a mild or medium case of it and you just don't know. And there's so much unknown that all it does is create angst and anxiety and there's no end to it ever. Basically.
0: No, that's right. There's no end to it ever. It's all it's just 100% shit show from now on. From now on. Yeah. 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 Uh but on the bright side, right. Um I don't have to go to shows anymore. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I I um I'm mad. Uh, When I look at the news now, I've never used to be mad. You know, I'd be frustrated. I'd be, I'd be disgusted, bored. I would, I mean, frustrated, disgusted, and bored are kind of the worst things I would experience. Right. And people that got mad about the news, I always felt like had, were not managing their emotions very well. But now... I'm getting, I'm getting mad when I read the news and, and having this sort of like cleanse it with fire feeling. I want to just cleanse it with fire. I want to go back, do it, have a just restart do over. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a new feeling for me, you know, feeling desperate mm-hmm. and I'm avoiding the news. You know, I'm not, I'm not somebody that's, reading the news 20 times a day so the antidote is not that i just should not read the news cuz i'm all i already have been doing that yeah i mean and for it, a lot
1: of people it that it, in. that that is the thing that 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 you just oh just take a break from the news and you'll be fine and like i barely read about it because there's no point to read about any of it right it doesn't do anything and then you know and no. then like you you say oh well there's right now i forget like today but like a week ago, there were only seven hundred only seven hundred and fifty cases, quote unquote cases, in Travis County, which is the the the, the bigger Austin County. Mm-hmm. And like people are like excited. There's only seven. And it's okay, yeah. Compared to the number of people that live in Austin, well, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a minuscule number. But like, how many people are just sick at home and didn't bother to get tested? How many wanted to get tested and couldn't? how many got mm. tested and the results wound up somewhere. You know, like there's so many things like that number doesn't mean anything to me.
0: The no, numbers mean don't
1: either. mean anything until, until the, truly like, it's just not. And this is why, like you said, it's a shit show. It's just going to continue and continue and continue forever. And, uh and I know people now, like I, I, I there's a uh, one woman that I know, And she got it from her kid who was in daycare back in the very first wave of it when it came through. Oh, no, really? Her son had it. I don't know how old he is exactly, but he's single digit age, you know, young enough to not be in school yet. So, I don't know, three, four, whatever. And so he got it. He didn't have any symptoms at all. And she got it. And so she got him tested for antibodies and he was, he tested positive for the antibodies. And so that's how she figured it out. Cause she hadn't had any other contact, that kind of thing. But it's like, then you see on the news, oh, well, kids don't really get it and they don't spread it. If they do get it, it's like, okay, what about her then? So there's all, so it's like, and I've had things happen to me in my life where they, like when I would read about the statistics or the chances of that kind of thing happening to you, they would say, oh, you know, it's like a one in a One out of every hundred thousand people get this thing or this thing happens to them. Like it happened to me. Okay. So I, the odds then are irrelevant. Don't tell me that, oh, you only got a one in 50 chance or one in 500. I don't care because I got the one in a hundred thousand chance. So the mm. odds are irrelevant. It's never tell me the odds. Mm, don't tell him the odds. Because it doesn't, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so, you know, and for me, it's not like I'm here feeling fear. I'm not sitting here feeling no. like afraid, afraid to do this, afraid to do that. It's just like, I, I know, as you know, you know, like I'm not, you know, 15 years ago, I was a software developer for the most part, like writing code from my house. And there was a while where I had a full-time job, but we were like telecommuting, you know, we all worked remotely. And right. if I got sick. I would say to my boss, I'm sick. And they would say, oh, I'm sorry, feel better and take, take as much time as you need to feel better. And if it was during, if it was during COVID, they would say, well, you know, this might be two weeks, it might be longer, but whatever you need to do, you know, these three people will, will pitch in and help and do the stuff that you do until you get back. But now same as for you, like if, if I don't show up, no shows get done no shows get edited no sales happen fireside doesn't get worked on no support happens no features get developed like and that setback financially would be insurmountable if i wasn't working for weeks and it's not like mm-hmm. the flu it's not like the flu which i've had and i've you know you're you're real sick for a little while and then you start to feel better and you can work a little bit and work a little bit more until eventually you're like back and you know what to expect and you know what the results of that illness are going to be. And sure, yeah, you could get pneumonia from the flu, maybe, but probably not going to. And the other thing is like you can avoid getting the flu pretty well. I mean, we've got flu shots if you take those. And even if you don't, like people who have the flu and are super contagious, they go out for the first day or two. But like you can tell when someone's sick with the flu because they look horrible and they feel bad and you can tell they shouldn't be out. but asymptomatic spreaders, of COVID. So you could, you could pick that up, not knowing that now they're talking about, I don't want to use the word aerosolized because I was talking to somebody that I know that works in, in like, she's like um, an immunologist kind of epidemiologist type, type scientist. And she's like, well, you know, there's a fine line between what one scientist calls aerosol drops and another just calls tiny droplets. And, you know, but like, I had to go to the dermatologist last week and I put on an, an N95 or a KN95 mask and a cloth mask and a freaking face shield because mm-hmm. I don't get anything, Mm-mm. you know? And I went in there, they're all wearing N95 masks. They're all pro. Everything's wiped down. They like clean everything in front of you. It's great, but that's not the way it is in the rest of the world. No. It just sucks.
0: Yeah. Well, here we are. Here we are. It's the, uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. And, uh, so far we feel fine, (laughs) but, um, but my kid is, is, um, she's on day two of this school, this remote school. And, um, I almost didn't. I I came within snap of a finger in telling the school that I was going to homeschool her this quarter. Really? And the only thing that stopped me is the principal of the school wanted me to talk to him on a zoom call. And I did. And it's a new principal. He's come from Texas actually. Uh, So, you know, he can be trusted. (laughs) Of course. And, um, you know, he talked to me for an hour. He was very, uh, he had a lot of kind of appealing humility mixed with confidence. Mm-hmm. He had, he had kind of the, the feeling that you want from someone that is, that's dedicated themselves to a job like teaching, which is, which they're clearly not doing to get rich. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want, um, Back in the day, you always hoped that teachers would all be teachers because they were idealists and they wanted to make a difference in the world. And you really didn't want to get a teacher that either is a teacher because they thought it would be easy or a teacher that's been doing it too long and doesn't want to be doing it anymore. But it's a it's a solid job. And mm-hmm. so they just keep doing it past right. their sell-by date. And also, from in my own world, I didn't want a teacher that was too idealistic mm-hmm. because… Ugh, <laughs> <people>. <laughs> but you know this guy's he's my age he's li- you know he's a lifer and he believes in education and um and he's technology savvy so all my questions about like you're going to be teaching to the mean and nobody wants that i don't want you know i don't want her to be in a class where you're just shooting for the low middle mm-hmm <laughs> And he came back and he had all these solutions and technological uh, workarounds and plans, 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 plans. And I was still like, and I told him what I'd been doing with her and he congratulated me and said that, oh, I was one of the good ones. And he understood if I didn't want to send my kid back to school because I was doing such a bang up job and I was, you know, He's flattering me, but at the same time, I really did feel like at a certain point, I was on to something, you know, in fourth grade, all you want, you know, your kid doesn't have to learn biology in fourth grade. They just have to learn not how to, you know, they have to learn how to hate, not hate school and how to get along with other kids and how to what, what, what do you come out of fourth grade with? Do your times tables? I think I think they do
1: times tables. They're you know my 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 kids have been in school now for a couple of weeks. I think because we start a little earlier, and you know they they she's read a book about a some kind of um, sled dog.
0: That's nice. That's you know, nice. Like a, like a short short
1: form novel. You know,
0: I've got a little reader at at my house, so I'm not worried about her reading books. But you know, I do worry about whether or not she'll be able to math with fractions. Um but i had been teaching her that stuff and she'd been she's been having little classes with all of her relatives. Everyone every, I got everybody in the family to agree to meet with her for 1 hour a week and in some cases 2 hours a week and teach her what they know. And I realized, oh, I have my, my family is almost all teachers. My cousin Libby is a teacher, mm-hmm. my brother Bart is a teacher. Her grandfather uh, on her mother's side is, a uh, teaches at Western Washington University. Her other grandfather and grandmother both teach at UC Santa Cruz. My mom studied as a teacher, although ne- I don't, I think she did student teaching in the fifties and then got into computers, but like everybody's a teacher. I, all of a sudden I was like, Whoa, <clears throat> you throw my sister in there for good measure. Who's <laughs> a natural born, um, Pedagogue. And then me. And everybody was doing an hour a week with her. And she and she didn't even notice it. She didn't even feel like it was school. It was just like, oh, I'm gonna sit with Nana and talk about talk about grammar. Right. And then granddad's on the phone, you know, granddad's on on the computer and we're gonna do drawing. And it was like, why do I need school? Why do I need to send her to stupid school? But anyway, I talked to this guy, this principal, and I was afraid uh, that I would like him. And I did like him. <clears throat> well, he's from challenge... Texas. How could you not like someone from Texas? Texas, John? Yeah, that's right. He's from Texas. But the challenge I had here in the household, in the community, is that there's a, there's a tendency to uh, want to obey the rules. Hmm. In the community Mm -hmm. now, and I'm sort of an outlier in my own community in that I I don't, I don't need to obey the rules. That's not obeying the rules does not make me more comfortable. You know what I mean? Like I'm not against the rules, but if, if, if it comes down to like, do what I think is right or follow the rules, like, you know, the rules have to make a pretty convincing case for themselves. And that's why you would never describe me as lawful good. I'm a, I'm a different kind of good. I'm, um, I always thought I was a chaotic good lately. Someone said that they thought maybe I was neutral good, which I wasn't sure whether that was an insult. Or I think not. we've talked about this and I think I said
1: that, that you were neutral good or chaotic good. I'm, Who's that awesome yeah, okay. uh, fellow that does the, the wiki on everything that you've, you've ever said and done. He would know. Jokin. Yeah. Well, but I don't know.
0: I don't know if he is a, uh, if he's a Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Well, no, but I, I he would know what I said you were back oh, years should. ago. Cause I can't remember, but I would definitely put you in, in neutral good, which, which basically means you do whatever is in your best interests, but it's always for the, for the good, but it might just be the good of yourself. But it's no,
0: no. I think that's it's inaccurate. A good of all. I don't. I I don't generally do things for the good of myself. I do things for the for the larger good, even when it is a even when it is against my own good. But that does not mean that I follow the rules.
1: Mm. Okay, so neutral um, good, according to Wikipedia. Um, That's a horrible, horrible definition of neutral good, and I'm not even going to read that one uh, here. This is the one that I want to read here. Neutral good character typically acts altruistically without regard for or against lawful precepts such as rules or tradition. A neutral good character has no problems with cooperating with lawful officials, but does not feel beholden to them. In the event that doing the right thing requires the bending or breaking of rules, they do not suffer the same inner conflict that a lawful good character would. Examples of this lineman include many celestials. Some cloud giants and most gnomes. <laughs> mm-hmm. cloud,
0: cloud giant, I think cloud is giants. What that's
1: you. That's that's what we've been talking about. As a cloud giant, less likely
0: to be a gnome. Now, how does that differ from a chaotic good
1: person? A chaotic good character does what is necessary to bring about change for the better. Disdains bureaucratic organizations that get in the way of social improvement and places a high value on personal freedom. Not see. I think I was thinking a chaotic good. Not for mm-hmm. only for oneself, but for others as well. good characters usually intend to do the right thing, but their methods are generally disorganized and often out of sync with the rest of society. Examples of this alignment include copper dragons, many elves, and unicorns. Mm.
0: And uh, well, I'm, I think I, you're I, you more neutral good. It seems like I oscillate between the two. Yeah, I mean, there there are times you could describe me as chaotic good, but mostly probably neutral good. Okay, I think for me- anyway. I, I, oh, yeah. just, I just I just want to throw
1: in here. Um, you're lawful neutral. I think I am lawful neutral. I'll read that one, and maybe you can help me figure this out. A lawful neutral character typically believes strongly in lawful concepts such as honor, order, rules, and tradition, but often follows a personal code in addition to or even in preference to one set down by a benevolent authority. Examples of this alignment include a soldier who always follows orders now a judge or enforcer who adheres mercilessly to letter of law, a disciplined monk and some wizards. And reading that description of it, I don't know. I mean, I do value the traditions of stuff
0: and I, I think mean, only, I am good. I think reason... I have a, a goodness in there. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that you you're, I don't think that you're evil, but I wouldn't say that you were pursuing a, higher good you're pursuing an expedient good Mm -hmm. and you're lawful but lawful good implies
1: a lawful good character uh, typically acts with compassion always with honor and a sense of duty however lawful good characters will often regret taking any action they fear would violate their code even if they recognize such action as being good such (laughs) characters include gold dragons righteous knights
0: Paladins mm, and most
1: dwarves.
0: Yeah, I think I think I think lawful neutral. I think that they, you know, when they said when they compared you to like a soldier following rules. Yeah, and a, I don't connect a, to that. Judge Dread, that's not you. but no. um But but I do feel like yeah. That's I'm just going to throw lawful neutral down, and I and think... if somebody's got a better idea, they can they can send a letter. Yeah, I, I wouldn't
1: mind hearing a letter about that one
0: but for for me I'm surrounded by a lot of lawful good people uh because that's you know that's who you end up being surrounded by hopefully you know I'm I, I do know a couple of lawful evil people damn um, yeah I don't know any should we more. read the description for for lawful evil well go ahead and read the description for lawful evil oh, let's I think we've discredited this source but but let's hear it I think we have completely
1: discredited the source at this but, stage. But let's but, hear it. Let's hear what they say. A lawful evil character sees a well-ordered system as being easier to exploit than to necessarily follow. Examples of this alignment include tyrants, devils, corrupt officials, undiscriminating mercenary types who have a strict code of conduct, blue, <laughs> blue dragons, and hobgoblins. Hobgoblins? Yeah. See? Let me. I'm. You know what I'm going to do? while you talk is I'm going to see if I can find like a more official website than Wikipedia on this. Cause this is, you know, as you know, Wikipedia is always correct and perfect, but sure. This is,
0: this yeah. has been updated recently by some furries. <laughs> and yeah. Maybe doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't convey the true na- nature of no. 1979 Gary Gygax, e. Gary Gygax. Uh, original <laughs> original Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons module alignments that, uh, you know, that I've, uh, that I grew up with. But, yeah, but, um, so I felt pressured by the desire, the like kind of overwhelming desire to comply with the system. Mm hmm. And I would, I had, I had everybody in the family on board. We were just going to do this. We were not going to go back to school. And then when the principal revealed himself to be a reasonable and thoughtful, caring educator, I suddenly had to, I was in a position where I had to, um, I was no longer rescuing us from a fate worse than death, which was that our child would be on her, on the computer for four hours a day. I was, um, I was now going against, uh, like a world where everybody was trying to do their best. And I was going to, I was going to be the enemy of, of science. And so I said, you know, there's nothing that there's what's the worst that can happen. But I went to all the family And I said, I want you to switch your times from mornings to afternoons. And after she gets done with her four hours of school, she'll get a couple hours to have a nice lunch and, and have a break, read a book, goof around. And then in the afternoons and evenings, she'll still meet every day with a different family member who will teach her something they know. And so Hopefully I have set up the best possible situation. It's Mm -hmm. way better than, than we had last year when everybody in the family just sent me emails sometimes going, how's it going there? You know, now they talk to her every week. Everybody's like all part of, they're all pulling together and we only have one kid right in the whole clan. Right. So everybody's got an hour of their week that they can devote to, the one little person, and we'll see. But today, day two, so much worse than day one. Day one, it was like I'm on the computer. There's all my friends, and today she's <laughs> like, "How do Google Docs work?" Right. And I'm like, "Oh, baby, you and I are in tr- in trouble together because I don't know either. How do Google Docs work?" Jesus. Anyway. Anyway, that's my, that's my status, current status on the fence, on the fence about, about the future. I don't, I don't still, I still don't care that the world is not going back to normal. Not only do I not care, but I'm fine with it. And I'm reading all these, um, you know, these articles in The Economist and The Financial Times where they're saying, look, you have no idea the repercussions, how it's, it hasn't even begun to filter down through, the, through all the systems that depend on the integrated world of travel. Mm. It seems like the economy was 80% travel. <laughs> in yeah, the sense, I think you're right. if if you in, if you include the idea that people woke up in the morning and traveled to work and then traveled home,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like all the all the businesses downtown that cater to the tens of thousands of office workers that go that arrive there as basically like um like a like an infestation or a shadow army, all those businesses, <laughs> you know, like the downtowns don't need to be there anymore all of the people that were, that were servicing the people that were downtown don't need to be there anymore. All the transportation systems, you know, increasingly don't really need to be there like that. But then you've got this, this global network of airplanes and hotels and all that business shit. And reading, reading this article recently about how much airline traffic was business business. business. Yes. Salesman has to fly to sales meeting. You know, guy needs to get to place to talk to company about something. Mm-hmm. Sales, 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 fly, fly, fly 80%. And if you think about the damage and the destruction caused by what, what really in the, just in the second half of my life, uh, resulted from the, absolute proliferation of airline travel, intercontinental, intracontinental travel. When we were kids, it was still a big deal to get on an airplane and go somewhere Oh expensive. Yeah. It was, it was it like, was it was like, 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 a, like, like really a, something that like very,
1: it was a very special experience. And it was something that really, you didn't have to be wealthy
0: to do it, but it kind of felt like
1: that. Like it's yeah, an it was extraordinary luxurious. thing.
0: Yeah and and all the stuff that went along with airplane travel like the hotels and the just the experience of walking through a terminal there were just little little signs and and signals that this was special and you know people people were wearing uniforms and there was a kind of white glove service to things and then it became um it became just like another way of taking the bus and airplane terminals are It developed at their best that kind of fake glitzy luxe at their worst. They're just, they're just like the bottom floor of the, of the port authority bus terminal in New York. Mm. But I live close to an airport and the difference between two weeks before coronavirus, when it, when the whole neighborhood just was, undergirded with a, with the with a rumble, there was just a constant <laughs> as planes took off and landed all day, every day. And then two weeks into coronavirus, when you, you know, you, you could hear insects and there, there hadn't been a plane in weeks,
1: <laughs> right? Someone told me yesterday, 90, realize- 98% of air travel is, uh, is gone now.
0: Yeah. Right. And all of the stuff that goes with that. Yeah. Right. All of the crazy stuff that attends the, the idea that you need to go there to do your, your work, you know, the, the white collar idea that, well, we could have this conversation over the phone, but why don't I just fly out there and we'll spend, you know, get a hotel. We'll spend three days, you know, Standing over a table, looking at the same document and, you know, and I'll get to, I'll get to wine and dine you a little bit and then we'll decide how many metric feet of, of flexible hose you're going to buy for this project from my company, amalgamated flexible hose. And just, just, just thinking about how unnecessary it is, how much a product of its time and how much that had grown to be normal and feels normal and feels like something's being lost and all these hand-wringing articles in the, in the economics trades about how we're on the way to a, you know, to a collapse of civilization. You just feel like, wow, if the airlines fail, Mm -hmm. who cares really? You know like I'm gonna miss being able to fly to la for one hundred dollars yeah right um if the airline if if six out of ten airlines fail maybe I will only be able uh, maybe I'll have to pay three hundred dollars to fly to la um and maybe I'll have to pay a thousand dollars I don't know mm-hmm but it will be a thousand dollars of different money in a different time and a different, a different economy. You know, it's not, it will make flying to LA something that I don't just jump on a plane to do because a friend of mine is having a, a dinner party. Right. And that, that felt so modern and it felt so like the future. I, I'm, you know, I'm a big shot now. I'm a middle-aged guy. I've got, I've got friends all over. I'm going to fly down to L.A. for a dinner party. How you like me now? Hmm. But is that the future? Is that the future? Like, is well, that? You know, feel like- and that's
1: the interesting thing is you're comparing it with the past. You're comparing it to our childhood. That would be absolutely an, an unthinkable thing for someone to have done when we were kids. That would absolutely, well, unless, unless you, you, were you
0: were Phil Collins, right? right? Unless right. you were, unless a, you
1: were like- I- incredibly wealthy or a rock star or someone like that. The idea of just saying, Oh, you know, my friend invited me out. So yeah, I'm going to head out Friday after work. I'll be back by Monday. Like that's normal or was normal nowadays. But when we were kids, like flying was like, you know, and and as a kid, you're going to get the little metal wing pin. You might, if you're lucky, the pilot might come and hand you one of the
0: airplanes, deck of playing cards. You get, A pen with the airline's name on it
1: i remember there were a few times when i when i flew alone and i mean i i was probably seven eight years old they treated me so well everyone like knew i we we have a a boy flying on his own and it was like the uh, flight attendants which we used to call stewardesses would come by and and check and like give you a little thing the pilot might come out and I mean like now it's like, again yeah, some kid over there just don't make noise.
0: But I wonder if the future what we, what we, you can never know about the future is what it is. All you can do is what exactly what you're saying compare it to what we what we thought it was going to be in our own past. And that's the whole problem with our generation is we have this where's the flying cars <laughs> problem. Yeah, right? Ah, uh, because we grew up in a in a time when science fiction was, you know, an unprecedented amount of popular science fiction in in our culture, and so we're just like, well, yeah, of course, we've already we've already been across a thousand galaxies. Why are we still having such a problem? Well, we haven't been across any galaxies, really. Right. 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 But maybe the future, and this is that classic R. Crumb drawing of, um, you know, it's a multi-panel drawing he did of, uh, just kind of a single shot on a forest. And then it, and over hundreds of years, the trees get chopped down. It becomes a pasture, then a farm, then, then a road goes in, then, a then the railroads, you know, and it's this, um, it's this kind of, and and it's our crumbs. So it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, what is that strip called? Um, It's, uh, let's see, here it is here.
1: I think I might have found the one that you're thinking of.
0: Yeah. What was it called? Depicting Time? A Short History of America. A Short History of America, that's what it is. I just found and it. And it's this, it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful kind of just like sardonic strip. It's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So there's 12 panels that kind of depict America from bucolic wilderness to the hectic cityscape of the late 1970s when mm-hmm. this was drawn mm-hmm. and it's often reproduced as just that 12 panel strip but there are three more panels at the bottom and because the 12 panels tell this elegant story right. and it seems very much like he's made his point by the end that, what was once a paradise is now uh, a garbage dump. Right, right. But the three panels at the bottom are, are three potential futures from his present. And his present is just based on the drawing probably 1977, right? Mm-hmm. And the f- three potential futures are one panel is a sun-baked and burned-out post-apocalypse. One of them is a hypermodern flying cars, uh, spaceport that seems like 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 clean skies. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that's the version where technology has solved all our problem. <laughs> right. And then the third version, which is the one that he either this is the thing about our crumb, he either prefers this third one. Or because he's living in his San Francisco culture of 1977, this third one is the one that he drew to get laid. <laughs> um, but the third one is a kind of ecotopia, a return to right with the trees, nature. and then you have people riding
1: bikes. And but like the trees and the ha- the houses are kind of in the trees, and there's paths instead of
0: roads, right. and it's yeah, yeah, it's like we 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 become one with nature, right? And it's really it's really interesting to have seen this comic uh, appear many times over the years, um, and see how it's been see how how often it appears as a twelve panel, and how you almost never see it as a fifteen panel. You're
1: right, and I never thought about that. I remember this thing from being a kid. And I'm looking at it now as I do a Google search on it, and most of the ones that I'm finding don't have the last three panels. And i I remember the three pa- The act. I remember the full thing because it's square yeah. when you have the full thing, but it's like um, sixteen by nine when when you don't. And I always remember it
0: as being square with all it's the. It's strange, on. a strange example of people sort of editing out the. Um, it, it, because without the three, it's a, it's a, um, it's a critique. And with the three, it's a, uh, I don't know, a, a, a dire warning or yeah. perhaps a, um, it's either a dire warning or a glimpse of, of, of Future-tron. Mm-hmm. But we're living in a time when it seems to me very possible that the future actually is not that I fly across the country when my friends have a cocktail party, but the future is that we don't fly that much, Mm -hmm. that we, that we retract some of this, this most aggressive and ultimately like driven entirely by a, by a culture of sales. Um, this, this idea that people aren't flying across the country to go to cocktail parties. They're flying across the country to sell articulated hose. And they could be selling articulated hose by, uh, by a, by a thousand different methods. And primarily, you know, the people that need articulated hose, uh, presumably are going to find the best articulated hose for their project. You know, they don't need a guy coming into their office and trying to sweeten the deal with a bunch of sales bullshit mm-hmm. and steak dinners. And that is what drives a lot of the American economy is like, well, I've got the budget to buy articulated hose. The best company is clearly this one, but they didn't send a sales rep out this company. That's kind of, you know, their hose isn't as good and they're kind of shady, but they send this guy out. He's a real nice guy. He takes me out drinking. So I'm going to, since I'm in charge of the budget, like I'm going to, I'm going to buy this guy's kind of shoddy hose. Nobody's going (laughs) to notice anyway, because by the time the hose fails, I'm, I'll have moved on out of this job. You know, it's just that kind of, that kind of business, bad business. Yeah. And I feel like having sat on a, on a thousand airplanes next to these guys with the, you know, with their brown socks and their spreadsheet open on their computer, these are the guys that that are still talking on their phones after the doors have shut. Uh, and, the, yeah. and the flight attendant is like, okay, now everybody turn your devices off. And they're like, anyway, so what I was saying to the guy was, you know, all these people is the, the, the entire front of the airplane and worse and more. Maybe it does all go away. Maybe the, you know, maybe the Howard Johnson's on every corner goes away. Maybe maybe the future is like the third panel, the third of the missing panels of our crumb short history of America, the 15th panel. Um, because we dreamt, we, we all kind of felt like we dodged a bullet by ending the possibility of nuclear war just by, I guess, pretending that the nukes don't exist anymore. Like, the last 20 years has been characterized by everybody just sort of going, well, I'm sure the nukes are in good hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're we, fine. They're being guarded carefully. We keep them carefully. around in case, in case something. I right. don't know what, in case what. We keep them around though. You know, you got to keep the lights on in those places. You don't want them to, you know, you don't want them to get lost. So we missed the sun-baked apocalypse, except, apocalypse except of course, now it's happening anyway. California is burning to the ground and everywhere else is too. We keep thinking that we're on the cusp of the, of the 14th panel, the Elon Musk future. Right. With the shiny spaceship that flies straight to Mars. Yeah. And the shiny trains that, that whisk us from San Francisco to LA and the shiny electric cars and colossal laptops that, Let us read poets from all around the world in real time translation. But of course, that's that has produced this cultural garbage barge we're on now. Mm -hmm. You know, in a way, the technology has done amazing things. There are amazing things all around us that I can point to and go like, wow, that's cool. If you had that and built a society around it, or if that thing if you could slot that thing into a well built society, that would be a great little tool. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with Tesla cars. They they have nothing to do with their 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 kooky guy. You know, it's a nice little invention. It's too bad that I didn't buy one three years ago before Elon Musk revealed himself (laughs) to be such a twat. And now I'm like, oh, I used to talk about Elon Musk all the time like, oh, he's this funny guy. Now it's just like no, he's a twat. It's sad, but maybe it's, maybe it's version three and version three, the 15th panel always felt a little bit to me like the result of an apocalypse. And I think it did to, to crumb too. I think that although I suspect he drew it because he, he was always trying to suck up to the counterculture because the counterculture didn't know, you know, cause he did, cause he hated the counterculture, but it was also his universe and that was where he was going to, if he was going to get laid, it was going to be there,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but there's something about it. The way the trees have grown up, the fact that it's that, that civilization looks like a rainbow gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, it just suggests that the world came to an end and mm-hmm. then got rebuilt. Rebuilt in a different, you know, uh, in the image of something else, and but not not primitivism. You imagine in the place like that that they have, they have the, um, they have the modern technology that they need, but probably, (laughs) excuse me, probably are not carrying around. Pocket computers. Or if they are, no one ever predicted our Crum in seventy-seven could not have predicted that our pocket computers would be such a pain in the ass.
1: <laughs> but you know, one one of the things that I've said, and I've talked about this, you know, on on my more like tech focused shows. But I, I often say, and I say this, you know, in in my mind a lot, nobody wants a phone or an iPhone. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants a computer. These are tools. You don't see people walking around saying, man, I, I really, really, really want that hammer. No, they have a reason that they need to use the hammer. They're not just idealizing a hammer. They're not walking around thinking, I got to get that new one, my old one, ugh, the handle. Ugh, I need that new one. The way that thing pulls nails out is going to save me time. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you say, I need, you know, I need a hammer because I'm doing a thing that involves a hammer. Mm -hmm. And the iPhones, iPhones are really the, one of the first tools that we've had or one of the, and I mean, it it is a tool, a computer is a tool, a phone is a tool. They're the first ones that we've ever really had that we integrate into every aspect of our lives. What other item, and I'm not saying there isn't one, I'm asking, what other item is there that you, you, you have with you all the time? And that you use when you don't need it. You might be thinking, well, I have my wallet with me all the time. Right. But you don't take your wallet out and hold it while you're walking, while you're crossing the street, holding your kid's hand. You don't hold your wallet and look at it. Someone says, no. oh, that'll be 10 bucks. You pull the wallet out or, oh, I need to see your ID. You pull the wallet out or, oh, do you have any business cards here? Here's my wallet. Let me get one. You don't hold it. You don't do anything with it. And of course you're saying, oh yeah, but you can't do much with a wallet besides hold stuff. And you can do tons of stuff with your phone, but I shouldn't be playing you know, Mao Zedong on my phone when I, when my kid's talking to me. So I don't, but that it wouldn't be weird to do that. Most people are doing that. Most people are multitasking. And that's why I say nobody wants a phone. We want the things that a phone does for us. The phone can tell me whether I should turn right or left at this light. The phone tells me if, you know, someone that I care about needs something. The phone reminds me to do things that I might forget. The phone allows me to communicate with people who are in faraway lands. Uh, I can look things up. I can look up what neutral good means. And, yes. you know, all of these are, are things that I can do and I can do them all with just one thing. Since when could you do all of this with one thing? If I wanted to talk to you and we weren't in person, you know, 20 years ago, I would go to a tool called a telephone that would be sitting on, the, on, on a little special table or mounted on the wall of my house. And if I was very lucky, I had a cordless version of that that I could use to talk to you. If not, I might have a very, very long wire connecting the handset to that piece of the equipment on the wall. But that was the only reason I would be on a phone is I need to go and tell John this thing or he needs to tell me something or I haven't talked to grandma in a long time. You know. And, and if I wanted to send a message to someone, well, I had a system for that too. I had envelopes, stamps, paper, and a pencil. And I could send a message and then someone would come and take that envelope and put it in their bag and drive it across the country and hand it to that person. And, you know, like, but they were all separate. All of those things were separate. The phone lets us do all of this at the same time. But the reality is, is that we we've some, something happened so that we started to idealize the technology itself for the sake of its own thing. And so we no longer, and that's why I say we don't want to use a phone. You want to be able to, you want what you really want is some kind of intelligence that's listening so that I can say to the intelligence, the assistant, whatever you want to call it, hey, um, find out, you know, I, I haven't seen John in a little while. I'm pretending there's no COVID. I haven't seen John in a little while. I want to have lunch with John this week. Can you set something up? Of course I can, Dan. And my little assistant Talks to your little assistant. Maybe it doesn't even talk to you, or maybe it does and says, Oh, hey, John, sorry to bother you. Um, do you want to have lunch with Dan this week? Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while. Tell him I want sushi. All right, we'll set it up. And then the assistants talk to each other and they pick a sushi restaurant that they know we like and they make a reservation for us and they say, Okay, your lunch for, for, with John is set up for Thursday at 2 p.m. or whatever. And then that's it. And then at 1 p.m., it says, Don't forget your lunch with John tomorrow. Great. That's what we want. And and human beings, we, we have ways of communicating that we're very, very good at. We speak and we listen and sometimes we read. And those in, are the three ways that are best to communicate. I never, ever want to pick up the remote and hold down the microphone button and say, kingdom, into it. And have it mishear me three times until finally it gets it and then show me the wrong kingdom. Not the Korean one, but some other one that looks like it's about uh, boxing or something. You know, and then, I, well, now I got to go back out of the thing. And I'm like, you know, it just restarted. Oh, the battery in the remote is low. Hold on. I got to find the cable. That's not what we want. We don't want any of that. I don't want to have to put a phone in my pocket and carry it around and worry about the charge going bad. I don't want to even take it out to take a picture of something. I just want it to, to know what to do. And we're getting there really slowly, but that somehow along the way, we've started to idealize and and love the item itself rather than what it can do for us. And I think that's
0: part of the problem. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a natural optimist. And in situations like this, like we're in right now the number of paths to some terrible outcome the number of paths that direct us to uh like a, a fascist autocracy or an environmental catastrophe or um a world in which we're at war internally for decades. Um, a world in which there's like a, like a systemic collapse. All those paths don't really um, don't really interest me because they're all pretty literal and they're all pretty. Um, that it's they're they're all just like a walk down to a place where where I can sort of intellectually and emotionally wallow mm-hmm. which which isn't what I want. i don't i don't I don't seek that, you know. I'm always more intrigued by trying to find the what seem like less likely, but what are in fact more likely paths to better outcomes because in my 50 years of being on this planet and definitely in my 44 years of being sort of conscious of what the, what the media was reporting conscious of what the temperature of the country was, you know, I became kind of aware of the media, the country at large, Right at the end of Watergate, that was when I was old enough to watch the news, old enough to um, to to you know, see magazines on on the counter and or on the coffee table and and f- kind of flip through them, so that that Watergate energy was like my. It was like a, like the, my early bath. And by the time Carter was in office,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: like I was, I was very engaged in that, in, in that aspect of the world, the news, you know, the, the, um, political life of the, of the culture, but also the kind of fixations, the obsessions of time magazine the, um, even then the, the sort of flitting from one potential cat- catastrophe to the next week after week, like, Oh, this is what's on the horizon. Like, look out here's keep your heads down. Cause this is coming
2: mm-hmm.
0: the Iran hostage crisis. But when you, when, when I think back to the late seventies and reading those magazines as a kid yeah. and feeling like, well, if the, if the russians and the nukes don't get us which they surely will right it's going to be first an energy crisis where there will be no energy left and everything will grind to a complete halt and economies will die nations will die because there's no because we we're out of gas and we don't have an alternative right but then famine will mm. get us because we have We've reached a point where we have taxed Earth's right. capacity to grow right. And already, you know, tens of millions of people are dying every year in Africa from these sweeping famines. But that's just the beginning. Famine is going to sweep the world. if that and and famine is a byproduct of overpopulation. We mm-hmm. have reached we have reached peak population. Earth cannot handle people, it cannot handle any more people. and yet, birth rates are skyrocketing. And so we're going to choke ourselves to death. And if that doesn't do it probably before that, the hole in the ozone layer, we're going to, the ozone is shrinking. Um, and by the time, by 1985, there isn't going to be an ozone layer and we're all going to have to walk around with metal shields. We're going to have to live in, in bunkers because the sun's, uh, UV rays will be scorching the earth and then there won't be any food. And then there'll just be, it'll be worse than nuclear apocalypse because once we burn off the ozone, there's no bringing it back and so on and so on, you know, like the 1970s and 1980s, which were my peak years of consuming (laughs) weekly news media. Okay. It was one after another. And every one of those Scenarios were documented. Scientists confirmed they were plausible. Um, there was consensus, and no one could see a path out. Mm-hmm. No one could see a path out of famine or of right the ozone layer. You know, like <laughs> because in in all those cases, that with the ozone. Like, it was too late. We had already passed the point where outlawing chlorofluorocarbons was going to make a difference. Right. Damage had been but done, out-
1: would never heal.
0: That's right. We outlawed chlorofluorocarbons, and the ozone layer seems to have largely repaired itself. Yeah. That's not the environmental catastrophe we're, we're worried about now. The environmental catastrophe we're worried about is, is um, global warming, particulate, that's Reflecting the heat, the sun, something, something, something. I'm not a scientist. Famine, somehow, innovations in agriculture and better land use policies, um, and you know, and and the end of the regimes in Ethiopia and other places, like. Famine isn't something that we talk about anymore. Right. right, famine is no longer a thing that we that not only that we fear, but that. I mean, the '80s are somewhat defined by hands across America. Yes, we are the absolutely, world. Absolutely, absolutely. And the ads with um, what's her name from uh, RG Bunker?
1: Um, the the daughter, blonde hair. Yeah, Suzanne Summers. Suzanne, no, not Suzanne Summers. Um. Suzanne Summers is Three's Company. Oh, ah, uh, all right, in the, the family other casts. Thank you, device tool that I idolize. It was Sally Struthers. Sally Struthers. Yes, yes. I got there, and I got she would. There. She would do. <laughs> she would do the the thing with Ethiopia, where she'd show the so thin, the little thin child yeah, who couldn't she even always eat looked and
0: like she was about to burst into tears. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, all of that just. I think in me, at least save the Ethiopian
1: children campaign.
0: That's right. It, it, it reinforced what, uh, what I think was already like a, a, a nature that I had, which was there's a solution. It's not where you expect it. If you're banging your head against a wall somewhere, the solution is probably not to bang your head on that wall again, but to turn and look a different direction. Often the people that are charged with finding the solution are not the ones that find it. Those people are entrenched. Those people are myopic and the solution often comes from a place where they weren't even working on a solution to your problem. They were trying something else and then it turned out that they resolved you know, that, that they created a new, a new world. Right. And so right now in this current moment, it feels like the only, the only, the only way I want to spend my time is not wallowing in the, the kind of future fucking of imagining what six months from now is going to be the state of affairs. And I say all that with the, with a, a like a concomitant amount of despair at feeling like things have never been in my lifetime as bad as they are. I've never seen. I've never seen the condition. There have always been people who were ignorant and proud, and if you tried to show them that they were ignorant. Their pride, uh, their pride forced them to, to turn more deeply towards their ignorance because it, because it was their, you know, the pride was their primary way of, um, interacting with the larger world, with the outside world. Mm -hmm. No one was going to tell them anything. It's an Appalachian mentality. And. Pride and ignorance together have always been a a, a component of American life. And fortunately for us, for many, many, many decades, a lot of the systems that we decry, that systems that were, um, that are unfair, they did tend to mute the voices of people who were defiantly ignorant.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Because, defiantly ignorant people are also typically very loud. That's just in the nature of prideful, ignorant people that they, they really believe and they really want you to know. And, and they would rather die stupid than have you be right. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're, yeah. They would set themselves on fire and die stupid (laughs) to prove that your rightness is although technically correct did not matter and those voices have been muted by by systems by mm-hmm. forces mm-hmm. by the mainstream by a by the cultural elite by a preference for science and facts and all of these things we've spent decades now kind of gleefully and smugly dismantling because as intellectuals, we want to extend the rights and extend the culture to include, to be, to be as inclusive as possible and also to make, you know, to provide access to the widest variety of people and voices possible. But the unintended side effect is that the defiantly ignorant um, saw an opening and claimed that space and now they are the loudest voices. And the thing is, if you know, the founders knew it, right? Like the whole concept of the electoral college that we all decry, that seems like anti-democratic and so unfair was precisely implemented to keep Appalachian ding-dongs from running the government by by sheer strength of of prideful ignorance mm. well now we're in a world where the electoral college does not represent um some moneyed elite that went to the university of virginia that are trying to keep the people from kentucky from taking over the congress like now the everything's everything's fucking backwards it's We're living in a total shit show, but the one thing that has happened is the defiantly ignorant are, are ascendant and there's no putting them back in the bottle and the pro and on the left, there's no interest or, um, or consensus that there's any truth or science or government either. Like the left, which at least should be the smarts can't even for a second agree on, on what font to use on the fucking leaflet. And so there's no appeal. You know, you've got, you've got the defiantly ignorant, at least are all united in their, in their shared dumbness. The smarts can't get their shit together. So it's never been worse. From my perspective, as someone that wants to look away from the writhing, like the writhing rat king of dumbs and look toward some kind of, some ivory tower, some smart place where people are like, Hmm, I have ideas and your ideas conflict with mine, but let's talk about it like that place and that place doesn't exist anymore. Really? You know, this, I say that as someone who spends eight hours, eight hours a week talking about my theories. So it's not like, it's not like that world is shut down. It's just, there's not a lot of public. There's no public square. Anymore, there's no place where there there aren't any talk shows that are interesting. There's not a there's there aren't any magazines that are good. There's not I guess what I'm looking for there's is no, a, none
1: of the stuff that we used to have that was cool and good is is cool and good anymore. Is that what
0: you're kind no, there, of what you're saying? <laughs> well, no, like there's like magazines used to do um, a lot of heavy lifting in the culture. And we thought that replacing magazines with the internet was a net improvement because now you could read any magazine and now anybody could write a magazine. And it's always been a, it's always been a kind of, I mean, it's the fundamental liberal truism that education makes people smarter. Education lifts people out of ignorance. And if, and the more education you get, the more liberal you're going to be because education, and leaving ignorance behind leads you toward liberal ideals because liberalism is focused on the future, not on the past. But we didn't know that not everybody should publish a magazine. You know, the fact that anybody can write a magazine length article does not mean that those are all good and that it's impossible to distinguish them. You know, just having thumbs up or thumbs down on medium isn't sufficient for the good to rise to the top because defiantly dumb people are just as capable of clicking thumbs up on a thing (laughs) and thumbs down on a different thing. (laughs) Right. There is no, if you lose the, if you lose editors, if you lose that middle world of people that say this is a good album right, this and is this is not. Right. Right. This is a good book and this is not a good book. And in particular if you're if you take those smart editors and you say, okay, well there's good books and there's not good books, but be careful that the books that you think are not good aren't it isn't just a case where you don't understand that book because you didn't grow up in that culture. And also while you're at it, you know, the difference between good books and not good books, you need to mitigate that. You know, there, there needs to be, um, I mean, you know, an argument to the mean gradually, even the smart editors are, you know, they're defanged. They're just like, well, I can't really, I can't do what I used to do, which would be a cultural gatekeeper. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what we've done is democratize that. Now everybody's a cultural gatekeeper and everybody's got a playlist and everybody's got a, um, everybody's got a list of things that they've thumbs up and thumbs down. And what it means is there's no magazine. And by magazine, I mean place that everybody reads, you know, that a, a thing that every week everybody reads. And you can then go write an article about it. You can write your opinion piece or your letter to the editor about it, but everybody read it and the people that wrote it and edited it, wrote it and edited it with the the idea that everybody was going to read it. You know, that was their, uh, that was the premise. Well, that's gone. And I don't think it's, I think it's gone for good. I don't think that anybody listening to this program that's under 40 years old is even going to fully, they're going to, they're going to hear me cast aspersions, but they're not going to understand, I don't think, the description of what's been lost. You know, they, they hear, they, I imagine, and I can't put myself in the shoes of someone that's 40 or under, but. They hear all of the things that I'm lamenting, right, <laughs> and they don't see what there was to lament, right uh-huh. because because <laughs> Because the hot take of the last twenty years has been that any cultural gatekeepers were elitist and that elitism was, in an American context, then by extension of its elitism, complicit in all the crimes of the world and so anything that is populist anything that includes more uh variety more voices more voices that's always a net positive um anything trending toward pure democracy away from representative democracy is a net good and this is kind of the this is the this has always been the tenet of the far left right that direct democracy is is the end goal. But of course, direct democracy is all of that presumes that the more people that are active and engaged and educated will vote conscientiously. And the problem with direct democracy as any Democrat or any, any person that's ever worked in electoral politics or in politics at all will tell you is most People are dumb and aren't interested. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And education doesn't work on them. And you can, and they can go all the way through college and graduate school and never become liberals. They can go all the way through uh, graduate school and still believe that the earth was created in seven days or still believe that the problem with the uh, federal government budgets is uh, that there are too many freeloading welfare Queens or they can still you know they can just they hold on to their fixed ideas and and that and all education does is give them more vocabulary to to promulgate their fixed ideas and their and their sort of sneering suggestion that the Jews control the media uh-huh. and their you know their kind of smug certitude that, um, that the only thing keeping us from tyranny is our, is the, is a misreading of the second amendment or whatever. So, so young people have to just hear me as a crank, right? And right. What that's am the I, only,
1: yeah, that's, that's how it comes. Like, that's how
0: they hear it. What am I advocating for? I cannot possibly be advocating for fewer voices for cultural gatekeeping, because I don't, I do not see, this is an example of someone banging their head against the wall, except the someone is me. The solution is not going to be a return to the Atlantic, the editors of the Atlantic magazine circa 1990.
2: Mm-hmm
0: the solution is going to come from somewhere else. It's going to, it's going to go completely around me and my old media desires. It's going to, there are going to be fewer voices. There have to be, but it's not going to come as a re, as a, a result of a return mm. to a, a time before. And it could be a terror. It could be the result of something terrible, but and And I think a lot of people are worried that there will be fewer voices because of totalitarianism. Mm. I'm not worried about that. I'm actually excited about a time when there are fewer fucking voices. <laughs> and that may and that may work against the fact that we that I have four podcasts right? <laughs> right? Because I'm living in a time when the fact that everybody has a voice means there's a venue for me. And I, and, and, and I think I arrogantly believe that there always was going to be a venue for me because I'm, I, because I have a voice that there would, that there would be an audience for even in a world of fewer voices. Now, maybe that is not true. Maybe, and I think there's, you could make a good case that I did not, that my voice is not so good that it would survive a purge a uh, a purge of voices that you know that my self interest hopes is just the bottom 35% of the voices but if it if the purge goes all the way up to the bottom 45% of voices it may catch me and t- and take me out mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know if i'm <laughs> over the 50 the <laughs> over the 50% line <laughs> But I mean, if you think about the, what they talk about, the numbers, the listenership of podcasts, like our podcast is in the top 5% mm-hmm. of, of listeners, yeah, for sure. yeah. you know, the, uh, all, all of the ones that we do because 95% of podcasts have 400 listeners mm-hmm. still. Whatever it is that reduces the chatter, whatever it is that returns us to, or, and again, I use the the word return because it's the only way I can think, but whatever it is that delivers us unto a world where expertise, once again, holds sway over people's imaginations, where professionals matter, mm-hmm. um, it's probably not going to be a world that, that I recognize or, or that resembles a world that's been, that has come before.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I have to be excited about it. I have to think that way because, because if, if you're not an optimist, Like, why bother thinking?